Hello, I'm Amy Stevenson, and this is The Human CEO. In each episode, we'll be meeting with CEOs and senior leaders to understand their approach to leadership, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them. We'll also be asking what they feel it takes to be a great leader. Make sure you're making a choice to do something you love. There are lots of reasons why people look for leadership positions, for status, sometimes for reward. I always say, do what you love and you want to learn to love what you do and everything else will fall into place. Welcome to The Human CEO. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson, and today I'm joined by Dr. Charmaine Griffiths. Charmaine is the CEO of the British Heart Foundation, a non-profit organisation focused on funding research into heart and circulatory diseases. Dr. Charmaine became the chief exec of the British Heart Foundation in February 2022. She gained a PhD in neuroscience and spent her early career as a scientist. Charmaine's been passionate about the power of research and innovation to save and improve lives. Charmaine joins us today to share her insight as a leader and a human CEO. Thank you for joining us today, Charmaine. It's really good to have you with us. Lovely to be with you, Amy. Thank you for making the time. I'm looking forward to this. So can you tell us a little bit about the organisation that you lead, please? Of course. So I have the deep privilege of being Chief Executive of the British Heart Foundation, which is the leading independent funder of cardiovascular research across the UK's four nations. And it's a deep privilege for lots of reasons, um, but it's actually been 60 years since it was founded this year um, in particular. So it's an organisation that is dedicated to helping prevent, treat and diagnose and support people with heart and circulatory disease. And the most powerful tool we have to do that is by investing in world-class research to make breakthroughs that then can be applied to um, help people. So yes, that's a, a little about the BHF. Let me paint the BHF in a few numbers. It's 60 years old, founded in 1961, an incredible organisation. Today, we have just under 4,000 staff, 20,000 volunteers across the UK's four nations, and we raise funds, and in a non-COVID normal year, we'd be looking to raise over £100 million net each year to invest in charitable activity. Our core business is research, so we're really proud to be funding world-class research at universities across the UK, but we also offer support and information for people who need it and actually undertake a number of activities in, in communities and to, to, to make a difference. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. And so as a leader of that kind of organisation at that stage in its life cycle, up against the challenges that, that you know, we've all just been through, what's the, the top of your list? What are you facing at the moment as a leader of that organisation? Great question, Amy. And I actually returned to the BHF in February 2020. Um, and I have to tell you, my first six month priorities and what I thought would be at the top of my list for my first year or two has been obviously utterly transformed, challenged and put in the sure. because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been a roller coaster of um, uh, last 20 months, but the team have done a phenomenal job. And actually, we are well into recovery and actually in such a strong position at the moment. We're looking at where we can invest for growth and actually how we can have even more impact as an organisation. So at the moment, my my top priorities, there have only ever been four, actually, since the 19th of March 2020. And they're pretty true today as well. So the first was be there for people with heart and circulatory disease through the pandemic and give them the support and information they need. And given the crazy backlogs that we're seeing at the moment because of the impact on the NHS and all of the disruption on normal care and services, that's never been more urgent. Mm -hmm. The second is protecting the core research activities we undertake 
And I'm really proud that we haven't had to restrict or cut any current research now to protect the half a billion pounds worth of investment we have across the UK right now. I also kept the door open for new research. So number two was look after research. And number three was just doing everything we could to protect their kind of net financial position, um, whether that be cost saving or finding new ways to inspire people to raise mm -hmm. um, funds and money. And the last one is looking after our people through change. It's been a turbulent journey. I've had to make some tough strategic choices that have impacted our workforce. And also we've um, um, made some strategic choices for the long term during the transitional impacts of COVID. But looking after our people, wherever they are and, and whoever they are, has been one of our key priorities over the last 12 months. So those are the things that are in, in my mind today when you ask kind of what we're focused on. with kind mm -hmm. of four big tenants still hold true right now. Yeah, fantastic. And then you must have had to sort of really mobilise your your staff because the the retail charity shop section of the business must have just been well, shut down overnight, I guess. And so you've got volunteers and you've got staff and obviously funding issues that come from that. That must have been quite challenging for you. It was. We have, again, a world-class team. We've just mm -hmm. done the very best job. And I think we're probably so expert at opening and closing and opening and closing and opening and closing shops again. Mm -hmm. We could probably run a consultancy on how to do it at this point. So we have about 700 stores across mm -hmm. the UK and they are... Um, uh, run by a combination of fabulous um, managers and staff, also uh, an army of brilliant, brilliant volunteers. Mm -hmm. And you're right, um, having to shut down, that was one of the hardest things we've ever had to do because of the uncertainty, because of the scale of risk and because of the cost as well. At peak, it was costing, yeah. even with all of the support available and furlough schemes, we were losing £10 million a month. And wow. for any organisation, um, including a charity where you want that to be going towards charitable activity, it, it was really hard to navigate. We actually took the decision, I think, bravely to close before the first lockdown because of the higher risk to our volunteers with heart and circulatory disease. So it's mm -hmm. pretty clear to us early in the pandemic there was a link. So taking the decision to close first and open last um, has been really important and in line with our values as a kind of employer and charity as well. But the team have done brilliantly, whether it be keeping in touch with volunteers or um, often on a daily or weekly basis to keep, make sure that people are okay, because it's way more than um, uh, a role actually for most people. It's being part of a, a family, being part of a community. So supporting each other through the last year has been uh, been a really, really important part what we've done and something we've focused on really intensely as an organisation. Fantastic. And and so your journey into leadership then, can you tell us a little bit about how that happened? Because looking at your, your background, obviously it was scientific, so there's a BSc, was it biochemistry? It was, good, good intel. And then and then developing from there. So was it was it an organic process or was it by design? Had you always set your sights on sort of leading an organisation? Definitely an organic process. So I started my career and um, uh, as a scientist in fact I've been passionate about science and I since I was little it probably started on a really pebbly beach somewhere in North Yorkshire in summers where I'd spend time with my grandparents and whilst my sister had a bucket and spade and was building sandcastles I was muddying around in the cliffs looking for fossils okay. and just thinking as I held these little things where did they come from what did that look like and that really sparked my passion for science and um, yeah. and then over time um, partly as my family was touched by disability and the heartache of losing people 
my um, passion became far more about research to help improve and save lives. So that led me to a brilliant degree at University of Bath in biochemistry and spent a bit of time in the States and Australia doing research too, and then a PhD in neuroscience. Um, and really, that was at the point where I started to think after I'd done my PhD and a bit of postdoc and the research question that I was um, investigating actually came to a natural conclusion. I've done some wonderful work with the Wellcome Trust, um, who are a big uh, uh, funder, one of the world's largest, if not the world's largest funder of uh, research um, and biomedical research. Done some work with them that really opened my mind actually to two things. One is the power of teams and organizations, because they're incredibly powerful and effective at what they do, mm-hmm. but also at um, uh, being in, more interested in the application of research to people's lives and actually thinking that would be interesting to me uh, in, in my career as well. And so, frankly, that kind of revelation and exposure to brilliant organizations and brilliant people took me initially to the BHF um, mm-hmm. was, uh, for over a decade and then started to open up um, choices for me in, in terms of having the privilege of being a trustee at other medical research charities, mm-hmm. starting to get more operationally involved in large and complex teams and moving into leadership. Um, overall so it has been very organic but the thread the kind of dna that runs through it all if i if i can is definitely about seeking organization that focus on improving human health um, so saving improving lives but also have a powerful and exciting culture about them so they're affecting change that seems to be the place i really enjoy being and the bhf have that in droves it's got a real bit of magic about it in that way love that and and in terms of your your career path then was there that moment that you said yes leadership's for me this is where I want to be this is what I want to do from now on I see that there was the the DNA of the type of organizations but in terms of the role was there a defining moment that you sort of said yes that's where I'm going so the answer is not really there was never a single moment where I thought right I'm a leader or I want a leadership job. Mm. What I've always been drawn to is opportunities where I think I can give and get something and hopefully give a bit more than you get from it. Mm-hmm. And I'm always drawn to opportunities where I learn something and grow from them and get the chance to work with great people. And I guess lastly, drawn to opportunities to make a personal as well as organisational impact. And so I'm fortunate enough to have worked with um, great people and just had opportunities to learn and grow from them and be inspired by leaders um, around me, having some great kind of uh, bosses, some great mentors, some great colleagues. So it's kind of very naturally evolved, um, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. And and in terms of leadership, are the characteristics that you think are required in terms of a great leader? Is it case by case or are the characteristics that every good leader needs to demonstrate? Mm. What an interesting question. I think it's really personal. And the advice I, I give um, whenever I'm asked about it, in fact, yesterday I was at a school, uh, the Elizabeth Garrett Anderson School in North London, um, uh, speaking with 150 15 year old girls just about to undertake their GCSEs. And they asked me a very similar question about kind of what it what it would take to be a great leader mm-hmm. and I think I said will share with you what I said to them actually which is the it's a really personal journey and the most important advice I could give anyone thinking about it is to be yourself and yeah. um, to draw on your natural strengths and your natural character and whatever it is in you and be more you so I think that's um 
the, the starting point. I think there are some obvious competencies, um, you know, in terms of leadership jobs, particularly chief exec jobs, you've got mm-hmm. to be an effective um, communicator and listener for sure. And in, through the pandemic, we've learned that more than ever. You've also got to be good at articulating and clarifying strategy where that's required, as well as mm-hmm. have all the kind of um, strengths operationally you'd expect and have that ability to connect and inspire and motivate people um, and I find, to be honest, that the cause of the VHF and the fact it's intellectually stimulating to me to work with an organisation at the very forefront of science, but also moves me daily because I've lost loved ones to heart disease and hearing other people who've done that just sets, you know, sets me on fire to do more. So the combination of those two things really helps drive me as a leader yes. as well. Yeah, fantastic. Great answer. Thank you. And. Was there a, a moment earlier in your career or at any point in your leadership career that someone gave you a piece of advice or you had an experience that's really shaped your leadership style? There have been a couple of times where people have challenged me in a way that said, you can't do something um, or you really or challenged my um, either my ambitions or have challenged me actually in the other way around and said, you know, it's like most um, people, you know, experience mainly good but I've had a couple of bad and tough challenges in my career too of people who either um, didn't empower or had biases and mm-hmm. uh, in lots of different ways I should note I'm very proud to be the first female chief exec of BHF ever so in terms of just recognizing what's kind of motivated me there have been a few things actually where people have said you know you 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 can't you shouldn't you wouldn't or other that have given me um real motivation to kind of uh, both prove them wrong and do something, mm-hmm. hopefully helping others along the way as well. So that would be one. In terms of great advice, and I've had much, um, the wonderful chair of um, uh, the BHF uh, uh, several years ago, Profilier, who once gave me some great counsel. He's, he's been chairman of Vodafone, has done wonderful things in the world and uh, led 3i and other big organisations. And he encouraged me to um, balance great relational investment in terms of where you put your emotional energy looking after people with real clarity in feedback and being more comfortable with giving negative feedback in particular so he, he was he was fabulous advice and my current chair Doug who Doug Gurr who um was previously MD of Amazon and is now director of the Natural History Museum it also gives me to be frank brilliantly advice on a routine basis it's Part of the attraction of coming back was the chance to also work with him um, mm-hmm. and, and the top team at VHF as well. Fantastic. Thank you for that. With regards to, I mean, you mentioned the advice that you'd offered to those, uh, the girls at the school when they were looking for advice in terms of leadership. But if there was someone looking to follow in your footsteps, so either right at the start of their career or just about to take a step up into a leadership role, is there one piece of advice that you would share with them? I'm going to give you two because okay. I'm that generous, you're right. <laughs> the first one is make sure you're making a choice to do something you love there are lots of reasons why people look for leadership position sometimes people look to it for status sometimes for reward um, sometimes because they feel they have to or should my um strong advice is i always say do what you love and you'll learn to love what you do and everything else will fall into place so um go for it but do it knowing and anticipating that you'll love it for sure 
that'd be one. And the second piece of the advice is get great mentors and network in place, particularly yeah. if it's a big step up or a change of sector or something. Find people who can not only support you and share their wisdom and intelligence, but will give you a run for your money. So some of my best advice actually has been from Seeking Challenge. And it, you know, it took me a, a while in my early career in particular to get comfortable with challenge, let alone blooming inviting it. So, <laughs> But that's where I think I've learned and grown my most and become more comfortable, particularly with areas that I'm not, they're not a stronger is by having people who can help challenge me either to recognize them or to kind of live with them which is mm-hmm. yeah it's been brilliant fantastic which leads me very nicely very neatly onto my next question is there a leader past or present that you particularly admire famous or otherwise and if so mm-hmm. what is it about them that you admire so someone in my mind uh, straight away and her name is grace hopper and sadly um no longer uh, with us and i never met her she uh, let me tell you who she was so grace hopper was a um, one of the first uh, um, leaders in the US Navy and became General Grace Hopper. Mm-hmm. That isn't why I admire her. It's because she also was one of the first computer scientists. She helped invent computing. And in fact, there's a brilliant biography book of her if anyone's uh, interested in finding out more about her. She's a fascinating woman. But she actually invented computing just because she was curious and fascinated and and obsessed with mathematics and computing um, at the time when it was embryonic. In fact, one of the things I loved about reading her book was there's actually a picture of a big fat insect squashed between uh, um, some pages of computer kind of um, paper. And it was the the first kind of, uh, inter- it was an interference in a program they were running. And that's how the term computer bug arose because it was <laughs> literally a bug in a computer. Yeah. So anyway, the reason I love uh, loved reading about Grace, and I think she's so inspirational and was so inspirational, is still inspirational, is because she did what she loved. She um, had huge resistance because she was a woman, because she was uh, entering both very political, very difficult and interesting areas all at the same time. And she was relentless in not letting any of that stop her. She was also a great orator and some of the best quotes um, in town come from Grace Hopper. So, yeah, do look her up if you're interested. I will. I will. Thank you. She does sound great. Which, again, leads me nicely onto my next question in terms of reading. So one thing that I like to ask the CEOs that I interview is what are you reading or is there an influential book that has had an influence on you and your style in the past? Mm. So is, are there any books that you could share with us? So I love reading. Um, I actually prefer reading still to podcasts. Maybe I'm feeling old fashioned about that, but I, I do love a good book. You can't be um, a good, good book. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm actually sharing with you that I'm a bit of a science fiction geek as well, but I'm going to put that to one side because there are two books I'm reading. <laughs> right now i'm not reading any sci-fi at the minute but two two books so one's a new one for me and one's a book that i've read probably two or three times and i've come back to so the new one actually is a, a book um called the language of loss by um sasha bates and she's a psychotherapist who's writing on loss and grief and the reason that i'm reading it is because i've come into contact through work and other things just with so many people who've lost people recently um, to to heart circulatory disease and some of the way that people talk about that experience really got me thinking about how profound it is in our lives um, to lose it and what a personal and strange and complex process grief is as well so this book was recommended and I love it it's a really um, interesting read about the language that people use and actually the words that people use can help kind of process grief so I'm I'm enjoying that from a um, 
that point of view. Mm-hmm. But the other book that I'm reading now for the third, maybe even fourth time, is um, Michael Marmot's The Health Gap. So Michael Marmot was once actually a BHF trustee and is a legend in looking at the social determinants of health okay. and actually what it is that causes such big gaps in health and life expectancy around the world, but also the UK, which fundamentally boils down to um, gaps in wealth, actually, and economic position and it just determines so much it's it's unbelievable so I read his book um you think why do I read it so often because it's a chubby book you can see it's uh, hundreds of pages long nearly 400 um it's because it does two things it reminds me of how much we've got to do and it also really inspires me it gets me feeling riled up to make a difference as well so it's a great motivational book to, to do something about it those are my two thank you thank you for sharing those and and so can you tell us a little bit about what's next uh, your foundation so what's what's on the cards for the next six to 12 months how can people get involved what are you researching and how can people help oh my goodness i'm so glad you asked how people can help let me come back to that in a moment so what are we doing what aren't we doing so we are i'm so excited to keep funding um some of the world's best research and in fact we um have some really exciting announcements about um some transformational global programs that we are looking at at the moment that I hope to be able to share a bit more of in the spring and summer this year. We are really proud that we are um, just about to add the 13th or 14 ambulance trust to our circuit, which is the National Defibrillator Database, which maps every defibrillator we can um, we can register across the Amazing. UK onto it. And this is so important because it allows ambulance trusts to see where a defibrillator is when someone has a cardiac arrest. And sadly, right now, um, only one in 10 people survive an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. So it's absolutely vital within mm-hmm. seconds and minutes people get defibrillated. So this database, we hope, will make a big difference in the speed by which people have access to a defib. So the team have done a phenomenal job, even amidst all the chaos of COVID, of actually progressing that programme. So the 13th plus comes online, we hope the spring, the 14th to follow shortly. And then then um, the work of making sure we all have access quickly to a different way to begin. So those are two things from the kind of charitable side of things I'm really excited about. Um, as an organisation, um, we had a brilliant meeting with our senior leaders today, actually, just reflecting on how far we've come in 12 months and the strengths of our position today. Um, looking at not just recovering income for, for more charitable activity and, and building on some of the great practices around, in, around using digital tools and technology, becoming even more of a flexible and and connected organisation um, with all of the homeworking that we've done. Mm-hmm. But also we've got some work to do on our equality and diversity and inclusion strategies. So we've mm-hmm. got some, we'd like to see ourselves as a more, even more diverse organisation. We know we've got some work to do in certain areas. So I'm passionate about and sponsoring that activity as well. So what aren't we doing this year, but mm-hmm. a brilliant team with a plan and on a mission to deliver against it. And how can you help? Yes. Glad you asked, Amy. <laughs> so there are a number of ways you can help. Um, and if anyone after kind of listening to the podcast wants to get in touch, really happy to connect on LinkedIn and hear any feedback people might have. I've met the most brilliant people um, through contacts and networks and doing podcasts and people have popped up from the strangest of places sometimes. Mm-hmm. But people have brought to us kind of corporate partnerships. So um, as a BHF, we have wonderful corporate partnerships with so many organisations often we'll do something in partnership where we will help support training of all of staff and colleagues in an organization with CPR and help provide information resources 
and in return organizations will fundraise for us or mm-hmm. and appoint us as their charity of the year so if anyone's listening to in a position where they think that could be of use to them um please do get in touch the other on a personal level if your house needs a declutter and you're fed up of half your furniture and want a change please do check out our bhf um retail operation which is just fabulous we are one of the largest uh resellers of pre-loved goods in Mm -hmm. europe so whether it be a new set of furniture or something you want to donate um or just having a declutter of your wardrobe um we always always love and need donations they help us raise funds for research so um that way and of course so many people have been touched by heart circulatory disease so we can only do what we do because we're supported by so so many people and are deeply grateful for everything that they do we're really proud to be the charity partner of the london marathon 2022 so whether it's people running a marathon doing a a, a a bake-off in in their local village or just doing their own challenge to raise funds for the BHF. We are deeply, deeply grateful. So if anybody is um, minded and moved or interested in the ways in which you can support, please do visit our website, which is bhf.org.uk. Fantastic. Charmaine, it's been brilliant speaking with you. I really enjoyed it. So thank you so much for taking the time. And it is that time of year, everybody's spring cleaning. So if there's an opportunity to visit your your stores, then I'm sure people will. But it's a great organisation. Thank you for everything that you do. Thank you, Amy. And we collect for free as well. So have a look on the the website. We try and make it easy as well as profitable for research. So yeah, thank you. Great to speak with you as well, Amy. 